Colossians chapter 2 and verse 7. Hope you have your Bibles open. And welcome back to Bible time. The Bible says here in Colossians 2, 7, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. This is Paul's desire for the church at Colossae. We're going to look at this verse today. This is something that is necessary for a Christian in order to avoid the pits that the devil has for you. And this is also something that will be manifested in a Christian. Someone who is lost will not be able to be rooted and built up in him. They will not be established in the faith as they've been taught because they won't be taught. And they will not be able to abound therein in thanksgiving. Uh, we're going to look real quick at Matthew 13, which is going to show that uh, about a lost person and the difference between the lost and the saved. We mentioned this the other day. Um, this passage is extremely important in the word of God. This is the parable of the sower. And Jesus said, if you understand not this parable, how will you understand all parables? So here in the parable of the sower, Matthew 13 on the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore, and he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them, but other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Now since we're not teaching on this passage, we're going to skip on down. We, um, it all needs to be read and studied. Get your own Bible out. Get it open. Read it. When you hear a Bible teacher or preacher, always go back and read the passages that he preaches on, especially when he's skipping verses, and make sure that you're not being beguiled. You need to go back and do your own homework. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about today. That's one of the whole points of Colossians 2. Verse 7, so verse 18 of Matthew 13. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. So here in this parable, God classifies all of humanity in four basic groups. You have the wayside, you have the stony places, you have the among thorns, and you have the good ground. And all four... All four of those represent all of humanity. You are and I am one of those four today. And you are only going to be one as regards salvation. Sometimes we can have a condition like this as saved as a saved person. But Jesus Christ here in Matthew 13 is preaching this as regards salvation. And that is the scriptural interpretation. And remember, the Bible says all that no, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, for correction. And I'm getting those tangled up that the man of God may be perfect, perfect, I'm blanking out on that. Thoroughly, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Look that verse up too and help me out on it. Now, um, the Bible also says that no scripture is of any private interpretation. It is a wicked sin in the sight of God, a wicked and grievous sin in the sight of God to apply your personal independent opinion to the word of God as an interpretation and claim that that is what the Bible says whenever it is what you say and not what God said. The Bible interprets the Bible. We don't need the Hebrew or the Greek. We don't need Bible scholars or seminaries. Sometimes those things can be helpful in their proper places when they're submitted to the Word of God and empowered by the Holy Spirit. But most of the time, that doesn't happen. And most of the time, those things just defile your conscience and beguile you of your reward. So here we are in Matthew 13. We have the wayside. These are they which receive the word. They do not, or they do not receive the word actually um, into the ground. It lands on the wayside and the birds eat it before the seed can even go into the ground. We've got to do this in overview. We've got to keep moving. <clears throat> 
Verse 20, he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it, yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. So this man gets the word, he gets the gospel, it starts to go in, he receives the word to a degree, but he has no root. And the lack of root results in a lack of fruit. And Jesus said, by their fruit ye shall know them. Whatsoever beareth not fruit, said John the Baptist, shall be cut down and cast into the fire. So this this Christian so-called who received the word with joy, he went forward, he got baptized, he did whatever the church told him to do. He put verses on Facebook for a while. He did it all. He went to the praise sessions and raised his hands up like corn leaves coming up on a stalk of corn. You can see it. But when the sun got hot, he withered and he fell away because he had no root in himself. And this man that had no root is the stony places. Paul warns us in Colossians 2. He doesn't, he's not warning us. He's exhorting us there to be rooted and built up in him. Uh, and we will look at that closely here in a second. Um, the, among thorns, the thorny ground is the next person, the next man. And it says in verse 22, He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. So this man has received the seed, and it seems that he has root. But because of his location among the thorns, Jesus said that the word is choked out. And because the word is choked out, he is unable to bring forth fruit. He becometh unfruitful. Again, John the Baptist said, He that bears no fruit will be cut down and cast into the fire. Then it says that he that receives seed into the good ground is he that beareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And Jesus um, links this to obedience to some of the other gospels whenever he deals with this parable. The understanding, here's my words, and keeps it. Now, these that are the good ground have the fruit abounding, and you'll notice that it's all related to the Word of God. This is everything here in this whole parable relates to the Word of God. The seed goes in, and the relationship of the person to the Word of God determines their relationship to God. Your relationship to Christ is directly manifested by your relationship to His Word. It will be shown how you handle God's word, your respect for God's word, your love for God's word, your desire for God's word exposes the real you. It exposes how you really feel about Christ. And we'll look at that as we we get going here. So um, there in Matthew 13, Jesus Christ is dealing with the lost. He's talking about whether a man is truly saved or whether a man is lost but has a show of righteousness, has a form of godliness, denying the power thereof. And such things. Um, so here in Colossians, Paul exhorts us to be rooted, as a, and we can contrast that to the lost man who has no root. Paul is saying, be rooted, be rooted, have your roots deep, have your roots down, have them tight, have them established, have those roots firm in Christ. And the key is to be in Christ. Go to John 15 real quickly. John 15. Lord, help us today to rightly divide the word of truth. Help us, Lord, to be right with you. Help us to preach the word accurately. And help us, Lord, to learn from your word. Illuminate us today. Expose our sin, Lord. Expose where we're not right with you so we can get right. Help us, Lord, to learn from your word today. Bind Satan over us and over this message. Bind Satan, Lord, over my family. Bind Satan over those that listen, Father. I pray that you'd bless them through your word, Lord. Open their eyes through your word. We all need you to do this, Lord, because we cannot understand the things of God unless you do it, Father. Do it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Here in John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. The only way to have roots, the only way to be rooted and built up is to be in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new, said Paul to the Corinthian church. Here he's telling us to be rooted in him. Jesus told us to abide in the vine. Verse 5 of John 15, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, listen closely, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. The man is cast forth as a branch, he is withered, and he's cast into the fire. There's only one way that we can take that. Now, the Bible says, If any man's work be burned, he shall suffer loss. Nevertheless, his soul shall be saved, yet as it were by fire. And you can look that up. I probably didn't quote it quite right. But the Word of God says here that the man, if, any, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So you can have a show of being in Christ without being in Christ. And that's evident throughout the word of God. Verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. So God's will is for you to bring much fruit, and your the amount of fruit that you can bear is directly related to the connection that you have with the root. If your connection is weak, then you will not have then you will have weak fruit and not much of it. If your connection is strong and full, then you will have strong fruit and much of it. And this is the Father's will. This is how the Father is glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. You call yourself a disciple of Christ. Do you have fruit of a life of following Christ? Paul tells us to be rooted and built up. In him. Let's look real quick at First Peter two. First Peter two. Turn quickly in your Bible. First Peter two one through five and verse five is where we get this built up. We'll start there and then we'll get the context real quickly. Ye also says Peter, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house unholy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Christ Jesus. Spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Christ Jesus. This verse is loaded and we'll get into it more whenever we get to 1 Peter. But for now, let's just glance over it. Wherefore, laying aside all malice in verse 1 and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and and all evil speakings as newborn babes, Desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, unholy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus. So here in First Peter 2, he starts talking to the Christians as newborn babes, as newborn babes. And the goal that he has for them is that they would be built up a spiritual house and be able to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Christ Jesus. And this is Paul's exhortation to the Colossian church that they would be rooted and built up in him. Help us, Jesus. In Christ's name, help us, Lord, today. That they would be rooted 
and built up in him. And so these newborn babes, as they desire the sincere milk of the word, that they may grow thereby, will be built up. And you think about the analogy of the vine in John 15. And whenever a seedling is started, the roots are the first thing to grow. For a vine to produce fruit, it must have strong roots. You can kill a plant if you can kill its roots, even if you leave it in the ground. Locust trees are thorny trees in this area of America. And locust trees, the best way to kill them, the most effective way to kill them, is to poison the roots and leave them. Within three years, the great big long thorns will fall off and the tree will begin to rot. And by, once those thorns fall off, you can come in and cut the tree down and handle it without getting spiked all the time and poked by all of the thorns, sometimes two inch long or longer thorns on a locust tree. If you can kill the root, you kill the tree. The root is the key. And Paul is telling them to be rooted and built up in Christ. Now, all of this relates directly to the message that we just talked about. The message that we just talked about. Um, as ye have received Christ Jesus your Lord, so walk ye in him. And he says, rooted and built up in him. So we talked yesterday about how whenever you receive the Lord, you repent of your sin, you believe the gospel, you ask God for mercy and for power to follow him. You ask God to change you, to make you meet, to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints and light. You ask God to, to change you. And in faith, you receive that change through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, and God saves you. And then as, you, as you've received Him, you walk. Whenever God shows you your sin through the Word of God, you repent of it, and you believe God that we have an advocate with the Father. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And you take God at His Word, believe that gospel, and you ask Him for that forgiveness and for the power of God to overcome your sin and for the fullness of His Holy Spirit to take the place of those sinful things that were in your life and then you receive it by faith and you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit of God and you follow Him. One of the things that we didn't really touch on in the asking yesterday was that the, Jesus said, Ask and ye shall receive, seek and ye shall find, knock and the door shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and him that seek, he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocketh the door shall be opened. Jesus said, If ye being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give the Holy Ghost to them that ask him? Ask and ye shall receive. Repent, believe, ask, receive. Repent, believe, ask, receive. And you just do that your whole life. As you're doing that, established in the faith. Now, one-time salvation. Salvation is a one-time deal. The salvation of the soul of man. God gives eternal life to those who call upon him. When they call upon him based on the conditions of the Bible. And you listen carefully. Every promise of God in the word of God comes with conditions. Every single one. The going trend in our Christianity of our day is to claim the promises and ignore and cut off the conditions. But God gives conditional promises. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Every promise of God has conditions. And until you have fulfilled the conditions, you have no access to the promises. Stop claiming the promises until you understand the conditions. Fulfill the conditions. Claim the promise. And you will have what you ask of God. Hallelujah. There's power in that. So Paul wants you to be rooted and built up in him. Established in the faith. Rooted in that vine. Built up in that holy building that God is making. Now, once you're rooted and built up in Him, God wants you to be established in the faith. Wants you to be established in the faith. S establishment in the faith comes through obedience to Christ's words. In fact, all of this ties together. You really can't have part of this without getting all of it. And that's really the way everything works in in the Bible, whenever a man truly repents, it's because he is believing. And when he is truly repentant, God works that belief. God will carry him through. You think salvation is of you, you're wrong. Salvation is of the Lord. 
Salvation is of the Lord. When a man truly repents of his sin before a holy God, he is taking God at his word that he's a sinner. He's believing God that he's under condemnation. And as long as he truly repents, God will bring him to an understanding of the gospel and save him. There's an old saying that a seeking sinner and a seeking Savior will not long be parted. If the man is truly seeking Christ, that is right. And truly seeking Christ comes through a repentant heart. So obedience is what builds us and establishes us. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. feel so weak today, Lord. Help, Lord, for Christ's sake. Salvation without obedience to Christ is phony. Jesus Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. First John says, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. We're in the book of John. Let's run some verses real quick. Go to John 8 and verse 30, quickly. John 8 and verse 30, Jesus, as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The word of God is where it starts and where it ends. If ye continue in my word, then ye shall know the truth. Then, you, then, you are, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We quote that verse without the other verse. The key to truth is the word of God. This is why Satan hates the word of God. This is why Satan attacks the word of God. This is why we have hundreds of false Bibles all throughout our land today that have been put out by everybody and their brother, and they're constantly attacking the veracity of God's word. They're making you doubt the honesty of God's word. One of the Bibles that has been put out that is popular in American churches and in so-called evangelical churches and denominations has more changes in it than the New World Translation from the Jehovah's Witnesses. That translation is the NIV translation of the Bible. It has more translations. It is not a translation, by the way. It is not a translation. It is a corruption of God's word. It is a private interpretation. They took massive liberties with God's word. They cut and hacked all the way through it. And the Bibles all across this land, all say, all except the King James Bible, have come from corrupted texts, the same corruptive text that the NIV came from. The Satan attacks the word of God. Satan hates the word of God. Satan wants to move you off the word of God. Paul's telling you to be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. By the way, the word faith, the definition of faith in the dictionary is trusting the veracity of the one speaking. Taking a man at his word. That'd be the plowboy way of saying it. Old Webster said, trusting the veracity of the one speaking. But somebody around here in the hills of the Ozarks might say, take him at his word. Or do you take him at his word? I did take him at his word. That's what God wants from you. He wants you to take him at his word. Plus nothing, minus nothing. That's the whole thing. That's the start of Christianity. That's the end of Christianity. That's the continuation of Christianity is taking God at his word. If you take away God's word, you have taken away the very foundation and root of Christianity. Jesus Christ is the word. If you take away the word, you take away Christ from people. And all you give them is philosophies, vain deceits, rudiments of this world, traditions of men, which is the next verse in Colossians. Beware lest any man spoil you from all these things. All that people have left when you take away the word of God are the traditions, the philosophies, the rudiments of this world, the vain deceits. That's all they've got left. Salvation without obedience to Christ is phony. And salvation without obedience to his word is not a salvation at all either because the word is directly connected to Christ. You say you love Christ, but you don't keep his commandments. John says you're a liar. Are you established in the faith? Are you rooted and built up in him? Are you saved today? Are you in Christ? Then prove it. Prove it. That's not me saying the Bible says to. It says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Prove it. Live it. Show it. 
James says, faith without works is dead. You say you believe God? Keep his commandments. John 8, Jesus said, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Go to John 12, quickly. John 12, 46. Lord, help us today. Please make this useful and helpful and edifying, Lord, and don't let me waste everyone's time, Lord, with my opinions and my flesh, Lord. Work through me, through your spirit, in Jesus' name. John 12, 46, but some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. That is chapter 11. John 12, 46, if any man serve me, says Jesus, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. I'm having a rough time today. That was 26, but God is good. Let's move on. 46. John 12, 46. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. It doesn't get much more clear than that. Not only are we saved through faith in the word of God, believing God's word, we're kept by the power of his word. We're clean, Jesus said, by the word which I have spoken unto you. We're sanctified, he said, by thy word. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Absolutely every part of the Christian life is directly and perfectly tied to the word of God. Your relationship to God is directly tied to the word of God. If you are disobedient to the word of God, you are disobedient to Jesus Christ. Isaiah said that the people would, um, that God said of the people, this people draweth nigh unto me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. If you are disobedient to the word of God, you are disobedient to Christ. We have a nation full of people who will dance and shout, Jesus, 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 and they'll sing Jesus over and over and over again, but they will not obey the Bible. They do not want the Bible. They do not want a real Bible. They don't care if somebody's going to chop out verses here and there. They don't care if somebody takes the blood out over and over and over again in whom we have redemption through his blood, says the word of God. They don't care if a Bible chops out that the, these three are one and cuts out one of the key fundamental doctrines of the word of God. They just do what they want to do. Any old Bible does. Any old life does. Go to church on Sunday. Live like hell the rest of the week. Post my Bible verses on Facebook next to the picture of me. Slamming liquor at a party. And I don't care what God says. I don't even know what he says. I'm just going through life with my Jesus bumper sticker and my cross necklace and my cross tattoos playing my CCM on the radio. I've got the local Christian station that's playing nothing but a bunch of new age junk that doesn't have anything godly to it, full of all kinds of rock music, full of demons, full of devils, full of garbage. Dress like I want to, act like I want to, talk like I want to, go where I want to, associate with who I want to, marry who I want to, shack up if I want to. But I'm a Christian. No, you're not. Jesus said, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. You say, wait a second, John said that, not Jesus. That's your problem. That's your whole problem. You don't believe the word of God is the word of God. It's the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And later in that same chapter, John 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is the Word. You say, well, there's the living Word in heaven. And then there's the written Word on earth. You cannot separate the two. If the living word is really the living word, then why in God's name would we call the Bible the word of God and say that men wrote it? 
If men wrote it, it's not God's word. Now we know from scripture that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's how God gave us the Bible. They were moved by the Holy Ghost. That means that the Holy Spirit of God, Edward, directly moved the men to write and say exactly what they said. And that all they were was a conduit. The Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the glory may be of God and not of men. What is a preacher? He's nothing but an earthen pot, an, a water pitcher like the one on Rebecca's shoulder when she carried the water to the camels. The preacher's just the pot. And he's on the shoulder of Rebecca, the bride, who's the church. And what's in the pot? The water. And where did he get it? Out of the well. And did he have any power to get it himself? No. And through the prayers and the sacrifices of the church, the gospel is carried into all the world by God's preachers. And they're nothing but water pots. That's it. And this Bible that we have right here is the inspired, infallible, perfectly preserved word of God today. And you can believe it. You can rest your soul and your spirit and everything on this Bible. And if you don't, do you even know him? Do you even know him today? Salvation without obedience to Christ is phony. Let's go to John 14, 15. Quickly, quickly. Lord, help us today. I don't want to waste anybody's time, Lord. Jesus says here, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, Jesus' commandments, how do we have them? Who knows? Somebody show me some Christ's commandments. Oh, I see that there. Your Bible. You're right. It's the word of God. If you love me, keep my commandments. You don't even know what his commandments are unless you get in that book. When he says rooted and built up in him, there's two parts there. There's the positional part that I am in Christ because I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and I'm in him and he's in me. But then there's the practical part. How am I going to get rooted and built up in him practically today? It is going to be through his word and no other way. Christian music will not root you and build you in Christ. Nothing else will but the word of God. Your relationship to Christ is directly manifested by your relationship to his word. Are you in Christ? Do you obey Christ? John 14, 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. And by the way, he's leading into these special verses that he will send. He says in 23, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. In verse 26, Jesus Christ introduced us to the Comforter. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. Hallelujah. And bring all all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. Now, what do you say when you say something? What do you say? A word. So what will the Holy Ghost do? What is his primary ministry? The ministry that Jesus Christ introduced the Holy Ghost to his disciples with. The ministry of bringing to their remembrance Christ's word, which is your Bible. If you have a Bible. If you've got a real Bible. Listen to me. This is getting into the next point. As you have been taught. So let's just go right into that. Colossians 2, 7. Rooted and built up in him. Established in the faith as ye have been taught. If you're getting anything out of this today. Then all glory goes to God. We're struggling here. But God is good. And God is the one that must teach you. Not me or anyone else. No one can really teach you the truth. But God. So here we are, number three, as ye have been taught. So who taught you? Did you get taught by denominational headquarters, by your seminary? Was it your pastors that taught you? Maybe your dad and your mom? Now we can get some good things from those, but those people sometimes, most of the time not, just to be honest with you. And if they were honest, they'd say the same thing. Go to 1 Corinthians 2 quickly now. Now, the Holy Spirit would teach you all things, Jesus said. 
the Holy Spirit's obviously the key. We already kind of jumped the gun on this point, but that's okay. And that'll just help it be more clear. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, we always stop right there and say, oh, we don't even know what's coming in glory. And we don't read verse 10. And we're going to read verse 10. Before we read verse 10, I missed a verse. We've got to back up just a second. Um, when we're talking about being established in the faith, not being, not being choked out, we missed a couple key passages. Matthew 7. Hold your place in 1 Corinthians. We'll get right back there. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. We cannot miss these words of Christ. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Now, Jesus said that, and we've been talking about fruit. We've been talking about being rooted in the vine and bringing forth much fruit. And Jesus here says, Whatsoever brings not forth good fruit will be cut down, hewn down, and cast into the fire. Friends, there is no other place than hell that can fit that description. Jesus goes on and says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, which is biblically what's happening right now, taking the word of God and proclaiming it. This is prophecy according to the Bible in its perfect definition. It's not even talking about foretelling the future most of the time. Have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Here you have the fall of those that were not established, they were not settled, they were not firm, they were not unmovable. These are the ones in the, in the thorns that are not established. They're choked out because they're not established. The stony places had no root. These, have, these are not established, and they're among the thorns. Paul's telling us, be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, and established in the faith as you've been taught. Now, this is all in the faith which again is trusting the veracity of the one speaking. That means taking God at his word, just believing anything is foolish. You don't believe everything you hear, but believing what God said in God's word is faith. Now Hebrews 4.1 says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith, in them that heard it, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Back to 1 Corinthians. We're going to go over to chapter 1 real quick, and then we'll be back um, in chapter 2. So 1 Corinthians 1, 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. But we preach Christ crucified. So here's the preaching of the gospel. Jesus died and was buried and rose again. Why doesn't that save everybody? Because it's not mixed with faith in everyone that hears it. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, before we go to 2, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Lord, please help me not to miss anything. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So God calls us, again, to be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. 
and 1 Corinthians 2, the teacher. So here, we're in, as you have been taught, we had to back up to the second part, established in the faith. Now we're back in, as you have been taught, who is teaching you? Who is your teacher? Uh, I've met all kinds of people who tell me all kinds of people are their teachers. I was um, in one man's house, uh, and he just had to show me his teacher, and he pulled up a um, some guy's web, web channel where the guy is preaching on there, and he showed me his teacher. That guy flat out corrected the Bible. He said, this is what Jesus said, but I prefer to say it this way. I was done. I'm done right there. I've got no use for anybody that knows better than Jesus because Jesus is the one I'm following. When somebody starts correcting Jesus, they're, I'm shutting them off. It's done. We're done there. I don't need to hear anything else they have to say because Jesus is my master. He's my rabbi. He's my teacher. But how does Jesus teach you? It's one thing to say Jesus is your teacher, which by direct inference means you're his disciple. It's another thing to be his disciple. And how are you his disciple? If you continue in my words, then are ye my disciples indeed, not just in name. Jesus had many disciples, but there came a point when they all forsook him and left. Are you his disciple indeed? Who has taught you? 1 Corinthians 2, 9. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. Help us, Lord. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us. What? Everybody says, I have not seen nor ear heard. Can't even tell what's coming next. That's not true. That's not what the Bible said. The Bible said it with verse 10 attached to it. But God hath revealed them unto us. And how did he do it? By his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of, a man, of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Now, what is the Holy Ghost teaching here when it said that? Not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. What is the Holy Ghost teaching in this passage? You say you're full of the Holy Ghost. You say that you need to be full of the Holy Ghost. Well, that's all well and good. What is the result? What is the manifestation? How do you know you're full of the Holy Ghost? How do you know that somebody else is? It's right here. The Holy Ghost teaches the words of God. And it says here, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Verse 14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And this is speaking of the word within the word. Now that's not Greek. What that is, is the illumination of God's truth in God's word by the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're talking about right now. God help us as we plow through here. It says, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Old Job, God asked old Job, where were you? Where were you? Wast thou here? Wast thou there? What about when I did this? What about when I did that? And he humbled Job down. Here Paul says, who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Well, Job didn't and couldn't. And then look what he says. But we have the mind of Christ. Now let me ask you something. When he said that, can we just interpret that and say, all right, I'm going to go meditate, do yoga in the sunrise, and because I've got the mind of Christ. I've got the Spirit of God. And I'm going to sit there and through introspection and inner reasonings and meditation, I'm going to conjure up my own doctrines and my own philosophies and my own traditions and my own rudiments and all these things And I, because I've got the mind of Christ. That's a private interpretation. You miss the whole thing. In the context, the Holy Spirit teaches the words of God. And when he says we have the mind of Christ, 
He also says in another passage, let this mind be in you in Philippians, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he tells us what it is. The mind of Christ is expressed in the word of God. We have the mind of Christ. I don't need to see creation because I read it in the Bible and I believe it and I see it with the eyes of faith. I don't need to see heaven yet. I can't wait to, but I can see it now through the eyes of faith as the Holy Spirit of God illuminates my mind through his scripture. There's things my mind can't even comprehend that when I read about heaven, sometimes the joy just comes up inside me till I can't even contain myself. And I don't even entirely know why, but I know through the eyes of faith that my spirit is being taught by the Holy Spirit about the joy unspeakable and full of glory that is ours in Jesus Christ in heaven. And I get that through the word of God. Let me tell you today, anybody that says that they're full of the Holy Spirit of God, but they're not obedient to the word of God is a false prophet. They're a false prophet. The Holy Spirit of God deals in the Word of God. That's His primary job, to teach you the words of Jesus Christ and reveal them to your heart. 1 John 2, 26, quickly. You want to be full of the Holy Ghost. Why? Why? What's your motivation? That's a question worth asking yourself. Why? Do you want to be full of the Holy Ghost? Because let me tell you something. When God fills you with the Holy Ghost, He's going to give you a love for His Word. Number one, above all things that the Holy Ghost will do, He'll give you a love and an obedient heart towards His Word and the power to overcome your flesh to obey His Word. If that doesn't describe you, you're not full of the Holy Ghost. I don't care who laid their hands on you. I don't care where you were. I don't care what kind of hoop-de-doop you did. It doesn't matter. The Word of God is the measure. Taught by the Word and the Holy Ghost received by faith. This is it. This is the Christian faith. Look at 1 John 2, 26. Oh my. So much good scripture here. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Tying directly in with Colossians 2 about seducing. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things and is truth and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. How do you abide in Christ? By following the teaching and the leading of the Holy Spirit of God through God's holy, perfectly preserved, inspired word of God that we have in English in the King James Bible. That's how. That's how. That's it. That's the long. That's the short. That's the high. That's the low. You follow Jesus. You want to be filled with the Holy Ghost? Get full of God's word and obey it. And guess what's going to happen when you try that? You're going to fall on your face and fail every time you try to obey God's word until you throw up your hands in desperation and repentance and say, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And right then is when God will do it. And not before. When you get so low and so broken and so done with your flesh and so unwilling to even take another step because you can't and you know you can't and you come to the end of yourself in your attempt to please God and you fall on your face in repentance and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I believe you saved me, but man, have I made a mess of it since. Help God in Jesus' name. Fill me with your spirit and just help me just to follow Jesus. And he will do it. Hallelujah. Bless his holy name. Praise the Lord. Bless his holy name. My word. Hallelujah. 
John 15, 16. Paul instructs us to be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. We read in 1 Corinthians where we are to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. John 15, 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth much fruit and that your fruit should remain. Now, God's ordaining is similar to God's anointing. God's will is for you to bring forth much fruit. The anointing of God is when God pours out His Spirit upon you for service. It's basically something like this. We have positional sanctification when we're saved. We are in Christ and He is in us. Positionally sanctified forever and holy at the point of salvation. And in the eyes of God, in the judicial system of God, when a man repents of his sins, believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and trusts Him as his Lord and Savior, that man becomes perfectly Holy as God is holy because God clothes that man in Christ's righteousness, takes that man's sin, puts it on Christ. Christ paid for that man's sin at Calvary and his sins are all gone. That happens at salvation. But practical salvation as you're living your daily life, practical sanctification as you're living your daily life, fighting that old flesh, trying to follow Jesus, practical sanctification comes to the Christian who will surrender in brokenness before God and cease from his own works. And then believe God for the power to go forward in the power of the Holy Spirit and obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit as the God Almighty, the Holy Ghost, God Almighty, teaches him through the Word of God. Now, powerful sanctification, which is the anointing, is what God does whenever He sends someone out to do a work. And that is an external sanctification of the man's work. The anointing that we talk about is that God gives us, not the anointing for teaching there, but the anointing like David was anointed in the Old Testament. The anointing whenever He says, Thou anointest me with oil, my cup runneth over. What he's talking about there, that anointing, is whenever God the Holy Ghost who indwelt you at salvation, who filled you when you surrendered and asked God for power just to be a Christian, just to follow Jesus because you couldn't do it, that same Holy Spirit of God is then placed upon you for sending and for His work so that you can abound in the work of the Lord and abound with thanksgiving. And there is nothing like it. When God the Holy Ghost comes down on a man and fits him for service and unctionizes him and empowers the word of God through him, it is a glorious thing. And by the way, it's a God-wrought thing. No man can do it. You can't work it up. You can't buy it like Simon tried to in Acts chapter 8. You can't get it through the laying on the hands of the presbytery. They might help you towards it. And their prayers might help you, but I'll tell you what's going to do it is God Almighty choosing to do it. And I tell you, you need to seek it. Seek God for the anointing. Ask Him for the anointing. He's not going to give it to you till you get sanctified practically through surrender. And you can't get sanctified through surrender until you get saved. Glory to God. Thanksgiving comes this abounding and this thanksgiving comes from a humble heart have you ever noticed that a proud man cannot say thank you because he deserves everything he gets he doesn't need to say thank you he can get better anyway either he deserved what you gave him or he doesn't like it because he's got something better and a proud man cannot thank god because he thinks that what he got he got himself he pulled himself up by his own spiritual bootstraps when God does the work of saving a man, it humbles him. A man can't get saved proud. God will break a man before he saves the man as part of the repentance process. A man that surrenders can't surrender proud. God will humble that man and work that sanctification in him practically when he humbles himself before God. And God won't send a proud man. And he won't anoint a proud man. When we get lifted up in pride, we become unthankful. One of the first ways that you can tell, take a temperature gauge, take a thermometer and check your spiritual temperature, how thankful 
are you today for what Christ did? Can you thank him with all your heart? Or have you got your thumbs in your spiritual overalls? Standing there with your straw sticking out of your mouth, leaning up against a fence post, looking at all the work of your hands, saying, look what I've done. Look at my work. Look at what I've done. If you've listened today, you've heard me stumble. You've heard me flop all over the place and make a mess of this. I hope God has done something today. I cannot take any glory if he does, but I can say thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to your name that he took this earthen vessel, this mess of an earthen vessel, just an earthen pot. And he took me down to the well and he dipped me in all the way down in. Oh boy, could we get off on something there? We won't. We'll say that for another day. Dipped me down in that old well and pulled me up with water just overflowing and then sent me out to share it with other people. I can't thank him enough. It's a privilege. I don't deserve it and there's no guarantee that I'll have it tomorrow, that kind of anointing. If I do have it today, I hope I do. Oh, I pray that I do. It'll be known by its fruit. Thanksgiving comes from a humble heart, a heart humbled by the mighty power and presence of the Holy Spirit. It comes whenever the Spirit has been illuminated and the mind has been illuminated to the Scriptures so that the natural man has come into subjection to the spiritual man and now all of a sudden the man's heart is full with the revelation of the truth of God's Word. And that word becomes more dear to you than your necessary food. You'd rather have the Bible. It's Bible time. You have breakfast time, lunch time, dinner time, Bible time. Is the Bible more dear to you than your food? Is it worth ever missing a meal? A meal? If you get up too late, would you rather take your last few minutes and get in the Bible on your knees before God or grab your lunch? What's more important to you? The Bible. Praise the Lord.